You are listening to the Hill City Church Podcast. Our mission is to become and make disciples who walk with God, connect with people, and impact the world. I have two toddlers at home, which means we are always losing the remote control to our TV. And when this happens, and maybe you've had this happen before, you know, I find myself turning the house upside down in order to find the remote. And so I'll be sticking my arms deep within our couch cushions and pulling out who knows what. You know, I'm getting on the ground, looking underneath the couches, and, and sometimes I can't find it. And in those moments, we just go without watching TV for the night. And I know what you might be thinking is, why don't you just turn on the TV without the remote, but I've tried, and for the longest time, I could not find a button on our TV. It's a newer TV, flat screen, and so I figured maybe they don't have buttons anymore. Maybe it's one of those touch screens, and so I'm, you know, poking around, touching my, you know, waving my hand, clapping my hands to try and get the TV to turn on, and I was convinced for the longest time that our TV just did not have a button, and my wife would always come over when I'm trying to figure this out, and she would say, they have to have made a button for the TV, right? Just look it up, just look it up. And eventually I did, and I found out there is a button on our TV. It's like underneath and behind, and it's like flush with the bottom, so you can't see it, you can barely feel it. But now what happens is whenever we lose the remote, the remote can stay lost for weeks because I can just go up to the TV and I can just click the button. And uh, really, this this is one of those ideas of, of having someone share wisdom with you, having someone correct you, and maybe you found yourself in a situation where you were doing something the hard way, and someone walked over, and they said, hey, did you, did you know there's an app for that? Uh, maybe they shared a life hack with you, and, and they shared with you, why don't you just try it this way? And in those moments, we, we find ourselves wrestling with this idea of there has to be a better way. There has to be a better way. And we have a choice when someone offers us that wisdom is we can, in humility, accept the wisdom. And I'll be the first to admit that my wife was right. There is a button on our TV. We can accept the wisdom. And we we might even be grateful for it. And we might say things like, I wish I had known this sooner. I've been wasting so much time. I've been doing things wrong my whole life. Or at other times, we might be proud. And we might resist the wisdom and the correction of others. And we might continue to actually live life the hard way. And the reason why I bring this up is today we're talking about the spirit life. We're talking about a life following the Holy Spirit and really the wisdom of God in our lives. And we need that same kind of humility to accept correction, uh, to accept uh, the wisdom of God in our lives. Because there, there may be areas of your life today uh, where you're doing things the hard way, where, where you're going against the grain, where, where you're maybe not operating the way that you were intended to operate. And God's Holy Spirit wants to correct us and to give us the wisdom so that we can live life the right way. So that's uh, what we're talking about today. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5, and we are going to start off in verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. 
here what Paul tells us is he tells us to walk as wise, not as unwise. And if you've been joining us for the entire summer teaching series, you might recognize that word walk because it shows up time and time and time again in Paul's letter. It's one of Paul's favorite ways to talk about the way that you live your life. Uh, the life that we live is a life where we walk. And maybe you have, you know, a watch with a step counter. And I'm always surprised to find how many steps I walked in a day, even on a day where I didn't go for a run or I didn't exercise, that I still walked around quite a bit because your life is a life of walking around. It's your everyday normal life. And so far, Paul has used this word walk to tell us to walk in good works from Ephesians 2.10, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling in which we've been called, uh, to walk in newness, not to walk as the Gentiles do, uh, to walk in love, to walk as children of light, and here to walk as wise. And so we get this idea that, that in Ephesians, Paul is trying to tell us not just to believe correctly, but to walk to live our lives according to God's direction. And here he talks about walking as wise. And before we talk about what it means to walk as wise, I want to talk about what it means to walk as unwise. I think there are three main ways that we walk, that we live our lives that are unwise, and each of them start with a W. So if you're taking notes, you can write three W's. The first unwise way to walk is wasting time. It's wasting time. I think uh, back to Ephesians 5.13 from last week's teaching where Paul writes, Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Uh, Here, what he says, he says we must make the best use of our time. And really what he's talking about is there are so many people sleepwalking through life. They're kind of just on cruise control. They're just kind of drifting through life. And especially nowadays with the digital age, there are so many things fighting for your attention. I remember reading a while back that the CEO of Netflix wasn't concerned uh, with the competition of other video streaming services. He said, our biggest competitor is sleep, right? And so people are fighting the entertainment industry, you know, apps, social media, online shopping, all of these things are fighting for your attention. And I would just say in a world if, if it, like this, if you don't regularly review and maybe, maybe you get a, a weekly screen time report, I know I get one on my phone every single week. If you don't review that, if you don't have any kind of boundaries around your entertainment, your screen time, you are going to waste a lot of time. And what that means is you are in turn wasting your life. You're wasting your life. Now, does this mean that it's a sin to play Candy Crush or to watch an episode of Netflix? Well, no, it's not, right? There's a a reality that it's important for us to rest. It's important for us to unwind. And yet, it's unwise for us to have this excessive uh, use of our time on entertainment or on scrolling through social media or on online shopping, things that we do that, you know, they're really mindless activities. And I wonder... How many meaningful conversations with your family have you missed because you were looking at the phone? How many many meaningful times around a dinner table have you missed because you you, you were just looking at entertainment? How, How many prayers or scriptures have you missed? I mean, think about the sheer amount of time that we're looking at screens every single day versus the time that we're looking at God's word. If we want to live a life according to the Holy Spirit's leading and direction, we can't waste 
our time like this. And so I would say to you, especially surrounding this, this idea of screen time, is to monitor your screen time as the first step. Just, just kind of ask yourself, how much, am I, how much time am I looking at my phone? How much time am I spending on entertainment? And then to put limits in place. How many hours are you willing to spend on those things? How many minutes? How many episodes are you willing to watch per night? And just put those limits in place so that we can make a better use of our time. That's the first unwise way that we spend our time. The second unwise way is working too much. Working too much. I mean, work is not a bad thing. Don't get me wrong. God created us as humans with, with purpose and meaning and drive. And you know, it, it, before the fall, God created human beings to work. So work in, it, in it of itself is a good thing. And yet overwork is one of the idols that we worship in America, is it not? I mean, in America, we are one of the most driven cultures on the planet. And you, we want to work harder, we want to work faster, we work longer hours, and when we do that, we get rewarded, you get paid, you get promotions, right? So there's even benefits that come from that, but it can so easily become an idol. And what I mean by, by working too much is by working at the cost of those, those primary relationships like your friends and your family, working at the cost of your relationship with God, sometimes even working on the wrong Things, spending all this time and energy and effort into working, into making a dollar and making that promotion. Uh, death by overwork is a very real thing. I think of all the health problems and the mental health problems, the emotional problems caused by overwork and stress. And that's an unwise use of your time. Uh, you can get to the end of your life and have a regret. And one of the biggest regrets I remember reading years ago in a, in a study of American men who got to the end of their lives was working too much, was not spending that time with their families. And, and, and we can get to the end of our lives and look back at how we spent our lives, how we spent our time. And if we spent our time uh, wasting it, on entertainment and scrolling and all of that sort of stuff. We wasted our time in another way and working too much. Those are unwise uses of our time. So if that's you, the best practice for you is to start practicing the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a 24-hour period of time where you don't work. Uh, you try not to even do housework, right? You, you don't do the, the dishes or the chores, and you just spend time rejoicing in God, resting with your family, enjoying relationships. I put strict screen time in place on uh, boundaries on my Sabbath where I'm not on apps, I'm not checking email, that sort of thing. And if you maybe have that knee-jerk reaction, well, I don't have time for a 24-hour window where I'm not doing any work, then you're overworking. That's just the case for you. And you need to cut things out of your schedule. You need to figure out ways to delegate, to, to become more efficient, to whatever, to step back from certain things so that you're not working too much because that is an unwise use of your life. And then the third unwise use of our time is wickedness, is wickedness. And this is an obvious one, right? It, it's not wise to live your life doing evil things. The way Paul talks about the present age that we live in, he says the days are evil. The days are evil. And, and in one sense, that means time is fleeting. Uh, we, tomorrow is not guaranteed. Jesus would say, you know, who can, by worrying, ha add an hour to their life, right? So tomorrow's not guaranteed. The time is slipping by. But in another sense, the days are evil. 
What that means is there are so many evil things happening in our present age. There's the spiritual forces of darkness. There's sin and there's death and disease. And, you know, there's even ways that we still, after following Jesus, struggle with sin and temptation. And I would just ask you to consider how much of your time have you spent sinning? That's an unwise use of your time. How much of your time have you thought about sinning and and thought about temptations? And for us, Paul uses this word, make the best use of your time, make the most of your time. What that literally means is it means redeem the time, buy back the time. And what we're doing is we're buying it back from the world and we're dedicating it and allocating and investing our lives for the sake of God's kingdom. The reality is Jesus wants to redeem the entire you. He wants to free you from sin and death. And what that means is it also includes your time. Jesus wants to redeem your time so that you can use the rest of your life to make the biggest impact you can for God's kingdom. So whether it's wasting time or working too much or doing wickedness, I would just challenge you, don't spend your life on those things. Those things are just going to lead you to regret at the end of your life. But there is one way that we can make the best use of our time, and that's to live as wise. And the wise way also is a W. The wise way we live our time is God's will. He says, know what the will of the Lord is. So that idea of God's will can be really mysterious for a lot of people. Is, you know, what is is God's will for me? But really simply put, God's will is what God wants you to do in any given situation. You know, think about the what would Jesus do bracelets, right? It's thinking about what does God want for me in this situation in Ephesians 5.10. Uh, He already talked about trying to discern what the will of God is, trying to discern what is pleasing to God. Maybe that's a good question to ask when when you're asking yourself, is this pleasing to God? That's a good metric to decide whether something is wise or unwise, right? Sometimes, you know, it's not as black and white as good or evil, right? Because you could watch five hours of Netflix and say, well, I technically didn't sin. You know, I was watching documentaries on animals and learning about, you know, the world or cooking shows or whatever, right? And it might not be sinning, but you could just say, is this pleasing to God? Is this use of my time going to be pleasing to God? Or actually, are there better uses of my time? Are there things that I can be doing that can actually build build up my relationship with God? that I can grow in my relationship with my family, that I can be spending time on spiritual practices, that I, can, that I can be, you know, becoming more healthy. And the idea of wisdom is really rich within Scripture, and especially in the book of Proverbs, which is one of the wisdom books in Scripture. And one of the common themes around wisdom is showcased in Proverbs 1-7, is that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and fools despise wisdom and instruction. And there's this contrast between the wise and the fools, or the wise and the unwise. And for us, we want to live as wise. We don't just want to know the right thing to do. We want to actually do it. And the beginning of wisdom, the beginning of knowledge, is really fear of God. It's submitting ourselves before God, and it's following God's leading in our lives. So here's the point that Paul is making in these first few verses. Live the right way right now. Live the right way right now. What are you waiting for, right? The days are evil. Time is fleeting. Tomorrow's not guaranteed. So live the right way. Live in wisdom right now. Don't waste another day. Don't waste another 
minute waiting to follow God. If there's ways that the Holy Spirit is calling you to obedience, is calling you a specific direction in your life, live that right way right now. And Paul's going to go on and he's going to give us some more instructions about what it actually looks like to follow the Holy Spirit. So let's continue in our text in Ephesians 5, verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So this is really where we get into this idea of the Spirit life. And do you notice the contrast Right Earlier we were contrasting wise and unwise or wise and fools. And here what we have is the spirit versus wine. Right, It's about being filled with the spirit of God versus being filled with alcohol. And this contrast is really interesting because in Acts chapter 2, I don't know if you remember, on the day of Pentecost, when God poured out his Holy Spirit on the early church, uh, the apostles, they were speaking in other languages. And it was so confusing to some of the people witnessing that. that you remember what they said? These guys are filled with wine. They're, they're, they're full of wine. They're full of alcohol. They're drunk. And they said, we're not drunk. It's only nine in the morning. And they said, we are full of the Holy Spirit. And so there's, there's this unique contrast you see even on day one of the early church. And, and really, what Paul is talking about when he's talking about being drunken and debauchery is he's not saying that uh, any alcohol whatsoever is wrong. In fact, I think that's a, a very difficult Uh, claim to make when you read all of scripture, a strictly prohibitive view of alcohol. Certainly drunkenness is a sin. Uh, And the reason why drunkenness and being under the influence is sin is because it's giving control of your life to something other than God. It's giving control of your life. You're you're just at the mercy of the alcohol and the decisions that the alcohol, you know, has you make. R. Kent Hughes puts it like this. It is true that when someone is drunk, he is, and we, we call it, under the influence. And when one is filled with the Spirit, he is under the Spirit's influence. And that's really why Paul uses this example of alcohol. Certainly, when we are drunk, we are not going to be full of the Spirit of God. We're not able to listen to the direction and the leading and be under the influence and control of the Holy Spirit. But it's not just alcohol that does that. And maybe for you, you say, well, I don't have a problem with drugs. I don't have a problem with alcohol, so so this doesn't apply to me. But the reality is there are many things in the world, things of the world, that we actually allow to be our primary influence. It's the voices that we listen to. Maybe for you in this previous season, it's been the political affiliations of the political parties. That has been your primary influence. Uh, It's the people we follow on social media. I mean, what do you call someone on social media who has tens of thousands of followers? We call them a social media influencer, right? There's so many different things. Maybe it's the money. Maybe it's the success. Maybe it's the self-image. There's all these different things. Sometimes we call them idols if they become places of worship for us. But these are the primary influences for us. And what Paul is saying is he's saying, if you're going to give your life and the influence and direction and control of your life to anything other than God, then you're not going to be able to be full of the Spirit. You're not going to be able to live that wise life. You're not going to be able to do what the will of the Lord is because someone other than God is your boss. Someone other than God is the one directing your life. Here's our main point for today. 
You can be filled with the world or the Holy Spirit, but you can't have both. You can be full of the world or you can be full of the Holy Spirit, but you can't, you can't have both. They're mutually exclusive. And if we want to truly be filled with the Spirit of God, we must empty ourselves of the world. We, we have to identify what are those primary influences that we have allowed into our hearts and into our lives. And we have to give them an eviction notice. We have to get them out of our lives so that there's actually space to experience the filling of the Holy Spirit. And this might cause you to ask yourself the question, well, how? How can I be filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is a present passive command. And so what Paul is literally saying is keep being filled with the Holy Spirit. This is not a one-time filling. It's a continual daily kind of thing. And it has that idea of being filled with the Holy Spirit is when we're listening to the Spirit and following the leadings of the Holy Spirit. I think there's three main ways that Paul has already talked about earlier in Ephesians for how we are filled with the Holy Spirit. And the first one is when we are saved. When you are saved by the gospel, by God's grace, and you respond in faith, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. Earlier in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul talks about in verse 13 that when you heard the gospel of truth and you believed in Jesus, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And so, so there's that initial moment where you pray a prayer of faith and you ask God to forgive your sin and to lead your life. But before that moment, you must hear the gospel. You have to hear the word of truth. You have to understand that Jesus is the son of God. He died on the cross for your sins and for mine. He rose back from the grave in victory over sin and death. And now he offers to raise you up into a new life. And it's God's grace and his mercy and his love that causes you, even though you are a sinner and are far from God, no matter the mistakes that you've made, God wants to adopt you into his family. He is calling you by his Holy Spirit. And when you respond in faith, God seals you and he gives you the indwelling, his very presence in your life every single day. I think about Peter, on Acts chapter 2, we talked about Acts chapter 2 earlier, when the Holy Spirit is poured out on the day of Pentecost, the people hear the gospel, so they hear the word of truth, and they want to believe in Jesus, they want to respond in faith, but they ask Peter, how? How do we respond in faith? And Peter says this in Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of what? of the Holy Spirit. And so really, that's this moment instituted by Jesus, carried on into the early church by the apostles and throughout church history, that baptism is the moment where someone officially puts their faith in Jesus. And I just want to call you today. You've just heard the gospel. You've heard the word of truth. If you have not been baptized, if you have not officially put your faith in Jesus, I want to challenge you to be baptized to say yes to Jesus through that action step of baptism, going under the water, dying to the old self, being raised back up into a new life with Christ. We have an awesome event called Church in the Park, Labor Day weekend on September 5th. And we're doing river baptisms. We already have a handful of people signed up to get baptized right now on September 5th. And we're gonna be so excited to celebrate that decision and that declaration of faith with those people. And if you want more information about baptism, we have a video online, or you want to sign up to get baptized, make sure you go to hillcityboise.org 
baptism. We would love to celebrate with you as you repent and, and turn towards God and ask God for the forgiveness of your sins. And you do that through the step of baptism. That's the first way that we are filled with the Holy Spirit is that initial salvation that we receive from God. The second way, though, that Paul has mentioned is he actually prays. We can pray for more of God's presence. Do you realize that? That the people that Paul is writing to, these are people who are already saved. They're already filled with God. But you might remember from Ephesians 3.19, Paul prays for the church that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. It's that same language, plerao. It means to be filled, right? Uh, to, To be filled to the brim. And what Paul prays is he prays to people who have the Holy Spirit that they would be filled even more so with the Holy Spirit. And here is it's a present tense. And so what that means is to keep being filled every single day, to keep filling your cup, to keep, you know, many people uh, drink coffee every day, right? You keep filling that cup. Like it's a daily ritual. It's a daily routine. And for us, every single day of our lives, what you can do is you can pray. And you can ask God to fill you. You can ask for more of God's presence. You can always go deeper in your relationship with God. One example I often think about is I think about my own life. I pray that God would be present with me when I preach. I pray over every sermon as I study and I research. I pray before I preach the gospel, before I preach a sermon, even preach a video sermon. And sometimes people say to me, Josh, you were really gifted or or there's this anointing and and I just give all the glory to God. It's not my own ability. It's not my own talent. It's because a prayerless sermon is a powerless sermon. I heard that from Pastor John Tyson in New York City. And and I just believe that with all of my heart, that if we want to be used by God in powerful ways, we need to pray. We need to be people of faithful Prayer, because the Holy Spirit doesn't only seal and save us, although he does, the Holy Spirit also empowers us to be witnesses. He equips us, he leads us, he teaches us, he guides us. And if we want to experience the ongoing benefits of our relationship with God, we need to pray and ask that God would fill us even more so. And then the third way that we see, and we've seen already in Ephesians, that we are filled with the Spirit is really by walking by the Spirit. That's the language Paul uses in Galatians. But in Ephesians 4.1, he talks about walking in a manner worthy of your calling. So to walk by the Spirit simply means to follow the Holy Spirit every single day. You know, think about the Holy Spirit is right there next to you every single day, and it's listening to His leading, His guiding. We do this in part through spiritual practices. We do this through times of prayer, times in God's word, right? Listening to the the word of God, which is inspired by the Holy Spirit and and through spiritual practices, through the Christian community and, and being around other believers, listening to the spirit through them. What happens is as you walk by the spirit and say yes every single day, The Spirit grows fruit in you, the fruit of the Spirit, and and, and He shapes you, and you become more like Jesus. The reality is we become like the people we hang around. I mean, think about the people that you know the best. They're probably the people that you work with. They're probably your friends. They're probably your family members, the people that you actually spend time around. And the reality is when we walk in a manner worthy of our calling, we're walking by the Holy Spirit. We're spending time with the Holy Spirit, and we'll actually go deeper in our relationship with God. This is the opposite of what Paul has mentioned in Ephesians 4:30, grieving the Holy Spirit. 
to grieve the Holy Spirit means that the Holy Spirit is trying to lead you a certain direction and you're kind of stiff arming him. You're, you're kind of saying no and, and, and you're not allowing the Holy Spirit to do the work and lead you to become more like Christ. See, we become like the people that we spend the most time around and we can become more like the Holy Spirit when we learn to walk by the Spirit. So those are three ways that we can be filled even more so with the Holy Spirit. What Paul goes on to do is he gives us the results. See, when we are full of the Holy Spirit, it actually does something. It transforms us and we become different kinds of people. And there's all sorts of implications for how the Holy Spirit uh, changes us and, and, and changes our lives and renews us. But there are three specific ways that Paul mentions here. I just want to cover them. The first way is that when we are filled with the Spirit, we will overflow with worship. We'll overflow. It's just going to pour out, right? Think about filling, filling that coffee cup if you overfill it and it spills. When we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we're going to overflow with worship. Worship is going to be the thing that comes out of our life. He, he calls it making a melody to the Lord with your heart. And a telltale sign that a church community or that you even as an individual are full of the Holy Spirit is that community, it, it, it manifests itself through passionate worship. When there's a, a church community that it truly worships God, as Jesus says in the Gospel of John, in spirit and in truth, when we're worshiping God with our all, and we mean it and our hearts are focused and centered around God, what happens is it, it's a sign that the Holy Spirit is present in that community, that the Holy Spirit is changing our lives. I think about the, the lyrics of the worship song, Great Are You, Lord, where it says, it's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out, our praise. We pour out our praise. We pour out our praise. And the reality is, well, not just having God's breath in our lungs, but having God's spirit in our lives causes us to pour out our praise back to God. Now, what's interesting about Ephesians 5 here is we see two different dimensions of our worship. The first one, the obvious one, is our, the vertical worship is our worship of Jesus. We make a melody in our hearts to the Lord, to Jesus, to God. And so our worship is always directed to God, right? We are praising God. We're giving him glory. But what he also mentions is there's actually a horizontal direction or, or aspect to our worship where there's mutual encouragement. He, he calls us to address one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And he's not talking about, you know, knocking on someone's door and singing them a song, right? Like a surprise, you know, carol or Christmas carol person or something like that. What he's talking about is in the corporate worship gathering, in our worship gatherings, there's actually the, this beautiful work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit works when we're all singing to God together. It makes me think of the song, The Blessing by Elevation Worship, where essentially the words of that worship song, yes, we're worshiping God, but we're actually singing a blessing over one another. And what a blessing it is to be a part of an in-person worship gathering. And this is one of those things that's really shifting and changing uh, because of COVID-19, because of you know, church attendance trends and people watching church online. I would just say to you, if you, if you never attend and show up to an in-person worship gathering, if you know, maybe you listen to worship music on Spotify, maybe you watch a YouTube, you know, this or that, but it's only an individual experience, you are missing out on the benefit of being strengthened by the Holy Spirit through passionate worship. 
you're missing out on the work that God wants to do in your life. As you, you're missing out on both benefiting from having so, someone encourage you with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, but you're also not following Paul's command to encourage one another and to be a part of your voice strengthening someone else's faith. See, this is one of those things, it, it's hard to even quantify, but we're missing something in our corporate church gathering. This is why I believe as advanced as technology will get, the in-person worship gathering will never go away. I think it, it, it hasn't gone away for the last 2,000 years, and it's not going away anytime soon. In heaven, we will be gathering together and singing praises to God. And so I would just encourage you, maybe You've been someone who you watch the teachings every week or you listen to the podcast every week, but you haven't quite made it back. And maybe you have good reasons for that. Maybe there's health reasons and that's totally understandable and we are compassionate around that. But maybe for you, it's just you've gotten out of the habit. I wanna challenge you to make it a priority to show up and to participate in our corporate worship gatherings at Hill City Church. Then the next benefit or result of when we're filled with the Spirit is we're going to overflow with gratitude. Gratitude is going to pour out of our lives. Paul says we will be giving thanks always and for everything to God. Always and for everything. That's a lot. Well, what that means is Christians should be the most thankful people on planet Earth. This is why I believe consumerism, American consumerism, bleeds into the church and becomes spiritual consumerism where it's all about me and what I get, right? And we can become entitled and ungrateful and overly critical. Consumerism is incompatible with the gratitude and the thankfulness that should be a result of the gospel. Consumerism has no place in the kingdom of heaven. Instead, we need to not be entitled and ungrateful. We need to be thankful and we need to be grateful. And when he says, give thanks always and for everything, what that, that means is it's really a difficult challenge, but there's always something to be thankful for God about. This doesn't mean that life will always be good, but it means that God is still good regardless of what you go through. It means that there's always going to be God's goodness, even if the situation that you're in, it's difficult to see it. And it doesn't mean that you have to be thankful for bad things. That's not what Paul is saying. When he says be thankful for everything, he's not saying be thankful for sin. He's not saying be thankful for devastation or you know, tragedy or, or all of the, the suffering that we experience. But even in suffering, he's saying there's always something to be thankful for. Not necessarily about that situation, but I always think back to Acts chapter 16. I mean, remember, right when Paul is writing Ephesians, he's in prison and he's writing these words. But in Acts 16, he was in a different prison. He was in the Philippian jail and he was with Silas and they were just beaten and they're suffering. And yet, what do we find them doing? They're singing and they're giving thanks. They're finding things to focus their hearts, not on the situation and the hardship. They're focusing their hearts on God and that always overflows into Thanksgiving. So today can be the day that you allow the Holy Spirit to overflow your heart to gratitude. And then the third thing is a result of the Holy Spirit is when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, when we're living that spirit life, we will overflow with humility. We're going to overflow with humility. He, he says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And that word submit or submission has very negative connotations in our culture today. Our culture it has become increasingly, maybe you've noticed this, anti-authoritarian. And there's lots of different ways for that, 
right? You know, scandals, corruption, you know, at the top level, people distrust leaders, all that sort of stuff. I think another cause is the rise of social media. Everyone has a platform, so it kind of equals the playing field as far as the voice. Everyone can comment, everyone can tweet, everyone can do that, right? But our culture would say, submit to no one. Submit to no one, right? And what, what Christ would say is Christ would say, if you want to become the greatest, you must become like a servant. And what Paul says here is submit to everyone. Submit to everyone. He calls us to mutual submission. This is one of the most countercultural things about the kingdom of heaven. This doesn't mean, though, that leadership structures don't exist. And, that, and that's, that's a way that some people take this. Oh, everyone submits to everyone? Okay, so it's just a flat you know, org chart. There's, there's no uh, leadership structures. Well, Paul has already talked about earlier in Ephesians 4 the different leaders that Christ has appointed to lead the church. And then he's going to go on into next week's teaching. We'll, we'll look at this in Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, the leadership structures and, and the submission that, that happens within those kind of roles. So he's not, say, he's not saying that, that, that there's no leadership roles. What he's, what he's doing is he's redefining what leadership looks like. He's redefining what submission looks like. And when the Holy Spirit is present in a community, it's going to shape everyone's hearts. The Holy Spirit is going to grow the fruit of the Spirit, which helps us to submit to one another. Uh, the Holy Spirit is also going to give us the mind of Christ, as Paul says in Philippians 2, which is a mind of humility, of considering the needs of others, of considering the interests of others, of serving others. The reality is, in the kingdom of heaven, servant leadership is not one option for leadership like it is in the business world, right? In the business world, there's all these different leadership models, and servant leadership is just a good tactic, right? You could just try being a servant leader and see if that works. In the kingdom of heaven, it's the only kind of leader that exists. According to God, servant leadership is true leadership. It's someone who's in charge, but they're actually laying down their life and sacrificing, It's someone who's loving. It's someone who's compassionate. It's someone who bends down like Jesus does, puts the towel around his waist, and washes feet. There's no job too small. And when the Holy Spirit is present in our midst, he's going to grow humility, which actually leads us to unity. Humility, if you remember, is one of those essential ingredients for unity. We cannot be united without humility. And that's why, you know, unity just on our own power, on our own strength, Unity, according to the world's terms, it's not going to work. It's going to be a failed business venture if we just try to be unified for unity's sake. But if we have humility that grows out of a deep presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we're going to be truly able to find unity. And so when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we are going to overflow with worship, with gratitude, and with humility. Thanks for tuning in to the Hill City Church Podcast. You can find out more about our church at hillcityboise.org. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Hill City Boise. We hope this teaching has encouraged you and helps you follow Jesus with everything.